Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. He's not less than the Father because he became a man. No, he is equal to the Father and part of the Trinity, the Godhead, if you will, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's an, an affirmation that he is God, the Son and the Son of God, that he's a part of the Trinity, that he is in fact deity. He was in the beginning with God. In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, In the Beginning. We are in the first 18 verses of John chapter one. Now this is an extremely important passage in scripture as it declares exactly who Jesus is and what he came to do. So let's listen in. This is his relationship to time. He's eternal, he pre-exists everything that was ever made because he is the creator of all things. In relationship to matter, well, all matter was created by him and he is the sustainer of all things. Verse three, we read it, all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. The apostle Paul wanted to be sure that we understood that when he said all things were made through him, exactly what Jesus was saying. So when he writes to the church at Colossae, Colossians 1.15, he says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Listen, the word all is important because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all in the same boat. There are only sinners and then there's the Savior. The law can't save, our works can't save, our good intentions can't save. There's no other means of salvation, no other plan for salvation. So we're all in need of a Savior and Jesus is the only Savior. What happens is we have this world of sinners and then God divides us into two types of sinners. It has nothing to do with our ethnicity or, or our upbringing or anything like that. There are saved sinners and lost sinners. That's, that's all there are. And today, if you're a saved sinner, it's because you've put your faith in Jesus. If you're like, no, I think I'm saved, but I haven't really gotten the Jesus thing then you're not a safe sinner. You're dead in trespasses and sin. And once you process that, the whole point is that you would cry out to him. The law, by the way, and he'll bring Moses up in a moment, the law was given to show us God's righteous standard and to convict every man of sin. Jesus didn't have to convict anyone of sin because the law was already condemning them. And if you're like, well, what about people without the law? Then conscience condemns. And both are very effective witnesses. But people can look at the law and say, well, I, I'm, the, I'm not going to obey that. And they don't. And they can feel that, that tug of conscience and say, well, I can reject that. I can suppress that. And they do. But the point is, if the law could save, then Jesus died unnecessarily. He would just say, keep the law. He actually tells one guy to do it and the guy's like, well, which ones? And he says, well, you know, go for the second table. It'll be easier on you. And, and the second table has to do with our relationship to people. And then, and then he says, well, I've done all that since my youth. And it says, Jesus just looked at him and he loved him. And he's like, well, okay then. 
you know, sell all you have and give the money to the poor and follow me. And he couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it because he loved his possessions more than he wanted to follow Jesus. Not all of us are like that, but some of us are like that. And so what happens is, is it's, it's his love for stuff and money and all it buys that surpassed his love for God. And the great commandment is to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. So in relationship to time, Jesus is eternal. In relationship to matter, he's the creator and sustainer of all things, visible, invisible, things in heaven, things on earth, things we see, things we don't. In him, verse four, and it's in him and in him alone was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. John has been called the gospel of life and light. There's a good reason for it. He uses the word 47 times, the word life 47 times here in John. In his first letter of three, first John it's called, he uses the, the word life 15 times. In Revelation, which John also writes, 16 times he uses the word life. But the heart of him is he who has the Son has life. He was not the Son of God has not life. The word light 24 times in John, six times in 1 John, six times in Revelation. And we learn in 1 John, God is light and in him is no darkness. Our fellowship is in the light and in him. If we say we walk in the light, John will write, and walk in darkness, we lie and deceive ourselves. So we read and I'll read it to you again, then we'll press on. The darkness, verse 5, couldn't comprehend it. It says that, that the darkness just couldn't make sense of the light. The word means grasp or seize or receive. It's even been translated extinguish in some translations. That based on the fact that they tried to put out the light, but all they did was crucify the only perfect man who then made it possible for all of us to be saved by believing in him. By the way, the darkness and the light, these will be contrasted again and again and again in the Gospel of John, a lot in 1 John, but, but when we get into Revelation, same thing. There's pure darkness, there's pure light. God is pure light. In him, we'll read, is no darkness. People aren't, by the way, blinded by the light. They are blind to the light. And we'll see that a little further in as well. Well, we transition in verses 6 through 9 to a theme of another man named John. This is John the fisherman, John the disciple, John the apostle, writing about John the Baptist. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. John's mission was simple. Preach repentance and point people to Jesus. Again, it's like the, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more probably don't like me going like, I'll, I'll do that. Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no No, no, you liked it the other way. Go and sin no more. Either way, it's the same message. He preached repentance, but then he said, okay, repentance for them was to side with God against themselves. They thought they were okay because they were Jews. God says, hey, you need Jesus. You need a savior. You're, you're just as guilty as the rest of the world. 
I'd say more guilty than the ones who didn't have the word because they were ignorant of it. He had these people that were birthed by him and blessed by him. They had a temple, they had a priesthood, they had feasts, they had festivals, they celebrated God and all he'd done in the past. And then his son stands in their midst and they don't recognize him. Why? Because they're in darkness and he's pure light. And again, they're not blinded by the light. They are blind to the light. The darkness couldn't comprehend it. Well, John comes as a witness, to bear witness. The word is martyrus in the Greek. We get our word martyr from it. He was a living witness and he died as a witness to the truth. His mission simple, that all men through him might believe. So he called them to prepare themselves for the coming of the Lord. We're called to do that today. There's a world that claims to know him who isn't getting ready for him, who's living as if they didn't. And there's a world that's completely oblivious to him. And we'll see him address both issues here in a moment. It says he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, which was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. So first he's the light, then he's the true light, then he's that light. Well, first the light, the, that light, and then the true light that gives light to every man coming into the world. Well, he called people to repentance. His passion is that they would follow Jesus. His, um, his, this gospel, by the way, is not just called the gospel of life and light. It's called the gospel of belief. Why? Because to, to repent and believe the gospel, to repent and believe in the Son, to, to turn from sin and trust in him. The whole picture is, is that all would believe in him. And so the word believe is 98 times, used 98 times in John, nine of them in 1 John, 241 in the New Testament. John tells us, by the way, oh, pause, rest for a moment. Okay, I'm back. John 20, verse 30. John tells us why he wrote his gospel. And I want to say, I love that he tells us. And if you're like, well, he could have told us up front. Yeah, he could have. But, but I think the intention, well, and in those days, it certainly was, people would gather. Not everybody had access to or a copy of any book of the Bible. And, and, and so if somebody had a gospel of John and you got together, they would read it from beginning to end at one sitting. I recommend that to you, by the way. It's easy reading. There's not a lot of, of difficult things or themes, and it, it's pretty straightforward and clear. And it will clarify a lot of things, especially if you haven't studied the word much. But before studying it, you just want to read it. But you just want to be familiar with it. And here's what John says in chapter 20, verse 30. Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John knew exactly what he wanted to accomplish. He wanted people to read his gospel or hear his gospel or both. And he wanted them to believe in Jesus and find life eternal as a result of that belief. To believe means to have faith in, to be fully and firmly persuaded that Jesus is Lord and that he died not just for sinners, 
but for your sins and for mine. John does something else that's unique. I didn't mention it in the introduction. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are dedicated to one evening, the night of the Last Supper. He spends five chapters out of only a 21-chapter book looking at the things Jesus did, recording the things Jesus said, expounding on them, it is powerful to realize that he focuses that much. And then the next two chapters have to do with Jesus' arrest, death, burial, and, you know, awaiting his resurrection. So seven chapters deal with the beginning of the night prior to his, uh, well, it, it ends in, leads to his arrest, and then ultimately his crucifixion and burial. So all of that's going to go down in that short period of time, and he dedicates seven chapters to all that. Why? That we might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that we might have life in his name. Verses 10 and 11, two of the saddest verses in all the scripture. Verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He walked among Jew and Gentile. A great deal of his ministry takes place up in the Galilee region. That's Gentile territory, especially on the other side of the Jordan. And so on the, the eastern um, shores of Galilee and then moving through that region and north of there and south, it's Gentile territory. So, so when it talks about the world, it's just talking about the Gentiles. In verse 11, it says, he came into his own and his own did not receive him. Now he's talking about his own people, the Jews, those who had so much from God and yet he sends his son and they don't recognize him. He stands in their presence and to both groups understand he was ministering to them, preaching and teaching the word, healing their sick, forgiving their sins, speaking of the Father's love, helping the helpless and giving hope to the hopeless. Still, they failed to see and recognize him. The Gentiles didn't know. That word know is the word gnosko. It means to have an experience with him. They experienced things they saw and they experienced things he did, but they didn't experience him. John did. And he'll later write in 1 John, the very first verse, that which was from the beginning, reminiscent of this book, which we've heard, which we've seen with our own eyes and which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. John saying, we didn't just hear about him or observe him from a distance. We were face to face. We were eye to eye. We were heart to heart. We were hands on with Jesus and he with us. He came unto his own, I read it. Ignored by the world, his own did not receive him. They of all people, they were the only people expecting him to come. And they had Isaiah, so they knew he would be born miraculously. They had Micah, they knew he would be born uh, in Bethlehem. They knew what he would do because they had Isaiah, again, to, to, to spell out his mission and his mission statement, which he will share word for word. They knew the kingdom was coming, and for the kingdom to come, 
The king had to come. They were looking for a time of peace and prosperity on the earth that's still coming. But when Jesus wasn't doing it their way or what they expected or in the order or the time frame they were looking for, they lost hope in him and they did not receive him. Well, I've mentioned it in the past, bad news, and that sounds like bad news. He's in the world, the world he made, the world didn't know him. He came to his own, his own did not receive him. But, verse 12, as many as received him, I would pray today that that many who received him includes every single one of you. And if it doesn't include you, it can and it should. Don't leave this place without honoring him and acknowledging him. Not, not just affirming intellectually that, yeah, he was a great man and a great miracle worker and a great teacher and he died for your sins, was buried and rose again. He is the savior of the world. But he only saves those who ask, who come, who respond. He initiates, we reciprocate or we refuse. That's the only choices. So as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The new birth is a spiritual gift of grace. It's a gift of God to all who believe and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. When he says, who were not born of blood, he says it's not about heredity. There are those, and we'll read of them, who said, well, we're descendants of Abraham, like that would do it. He said, God could make rocks into descendants of Abraham. And, and, and the point is they were trusting in their religious heritage instead of trusting in their savior. They reject the savior because they're clinging to this idea that, well, we're already saved. People do that today. Well, I was raised in the church. Ask someone, are you a Christian? They'll say, well, I was baptized when? Oh, I don't know, I was a baby, I don't remember it. That, that, that's not a biblical baptism because baptism follows repentance of sin and believing and receiving him. It's a testimony publicly of something you've done personally. So the point here is the ones who received him, to these he gave the right. Oh, I had two more. I don't want to fail to give them to you because people are going, hey, you should wonder, well, what do these mean? Born not of blood, that's not heredity, nor the will of the flesh. That's man's efforts or works personally. Good works, best efforts, great intentions. None of them will ever measure up. And if they could, then again, Jesus wouldn't have had to die for our sins. And then the last that he says, nor the will of men. That just means that no preacher, no parent, no pastor, no friend, no coworker or schoolmate, there's no one in your life that can save you from your sin or convince you you even need a savior. Our, our call is to be an example of, of what it is to be a Christian, to speak the truth in love, to let the, the Holy Spirit do the work of convicting. He's an expert at it. We don't want to condemn and we don't need to convict. He takes care of that. We don't need to convince people that Jesus is their only hope. We just need to declare to people that he's their only hope. And those of you who've studied here for any length of time, you know this to be true. I never pound the pulpit because this little music stand, it couldn't take it. But, but I'm never threatening. I'm not doing the Pollyanna thing. Do you remember that? Death comes unexpectedly. I, well, I'll do it just once. But um, 
I, I, I'm not into, to, you know, like scaring people into heaven or, or, you know, the Santa Claus evangelism of promising them all sorts of goodies if they'll trust in Jesus. None of that really works. What works is to simply proclaim the simple truth that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and all include you and me and every person on the planet and, and that he died for our sins, was buried and rose again. There's life and forgiveness and life in him. And we're, we'll deal with that issue in a moment and we're getting near our, our um, communion time together. As many as received him, he gave the right. The word is exousia in Greek. It means the power, the authority, the ability, the liberty, the right and the might to become the children of God. The word God is theos there in Greek. As many as believe, by the way, John uses this word, to mean believe unto salvation, not just to believe stuff about Jesus, but to believe into him, if you will, all the way into a relationship with him and to receive as a result the gift of everlasting life. The word became flesh for any who are like, how do we know that the word in John 1 is, is talking about Jesus? Because the word became flesh. Jesus, like the Father, like the Spirit, was spirit, but he became flesh through the miracle of the incarnation. And if any miracle was ever understated, if anything so radical in human history was ever understated, this is it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He shares it as if it's just something else Jesus did. Yeah, and he became a man. Think of how radical a statement that is. He was God. He was at the throne of God. He, he was, everything was perfect for him. But he looks at the earth and he's like, man, nothing's perfect for them. And even with the, the ones who had all that was provided, they still were dead in trespasses and sin. The best person to the worst, just as needy. And so the word became flesh, dwelt among us. He's just reminding us that Jesus revealed himself, that God became a man so that he could live among us, die for us, rise again, and give us the gift of everlasting life. He chose common, flawed people like us that he loved and transformed to change the world. And, and that's exactly what they saw. They saw him full of grace and truth. Moses wanted to see the glory of God, and God said, that's not going to work, man. He's like, if no one can see my face and live. But he says, I will tell you my name. And in his name, he proclaims it, and his character is revealed, and, and it's glory. But these guys are making a claim. John is claiming, and Peter will later do the same, to say, we actually saw the face of God in the person of Jesus. John bore witness of him, verse 15, and cried out saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me for he was before me. It seems as he's talking here again about John the Baptist, he seemed to grasp long before the others that, that Jesus pre-existed his incarnation. John has information that no one else has, but he's getting it directly from God. And uh, we'll see that when we look at the baptism of Jesus. Verse 16, through 18, and we'll close with this. And of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, 
but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Verse 17 of John chapter 1 in our study today was so important. It said, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The very existence of the law demanded the existence of grace. That is, if we desire to live. Because Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means all, with the exception of Jesus, have broken the law. And that means that every human being ever born needs grace. Thus, they all need Jesus Christ who brought with him grace. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico and you can visit our website ccchico.com or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.